All right, we're going to open our Bibles this morning. I'd invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12. That's where I'll begin. This is our sermon series called Doctrine, Culture, and Life, and we're kind of bringing it to a close with a question on membership. You might say, why would you end the series, at least at this point, with a topic like that? It seems kind of throwaway or maybe superficial. You know, you either become a member or you don't. And I want to take it to a level that's a little bit deeper than just the superficiality of filling out a form or checking a box. And I want to take it to the Bible's level of what God's word commands for your life as a believer. As I think about the course of my life, some 40 years now, I uh, reflect upon my life in the church. Because I was born to a Christian home, I don't know a time in my life where I was not aware of church, or specifically a local church. Some of my first memories, as I sort of came to be aware of people, was memories in the church, in the church nursery specifically. I remember specific faces and people who invested to serve and volunteer there, where, believe it or not, as maybe a one-year-old, I would sort of, you know, toddle over to a guy's lap and sit up there and he would read me stories about Jesus and I have vague but very clear memories of that watching and looking up at a glowing face of someone who actually was taking time to love me talk about accountability when you're in the church nursery for doing that right and loving children I also remember uh, being maybe in toddler two or three and walking up to my favorite toy, which was the toy wooden beagle with the wheels on it. You all know what I'm talking about. Don't try to play dumb. Had the floppy ears, right? You pull it along. Well, I wanted that toy. And I don't remember her last name right now, but um, Rebecca came up and I ended up growing up in church and school with her. But she came up and bit me for that toy right in the knuckle. I gave it to her and I didn't, I didn't backbite. I didn't do anything like that whatsoever. That was a little humor. But listen, these are early stages in the church. I remember being in maybe an elementary age class and coloring outside the lines and two girls taking me to the teacher and saying, this is not acceptable work. And these are early you know, lessons that I'm learning in the life and body of the church. I remember standing with my parents and we would have communion at the end of each month and we would sing a hymn and they go out and the hymn that we would sing would be blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love and they would sing it together and we would hold hands and the, the, the aroma of grape juice was wafting through the air as I looked up at my parents and sensed their love commitment to each other and to the Lord. That's church. My life has been bound up in local churches with long-standing commitments to each. When I was a high school student, we did move to a different church where I was introduced to the gospel in a way that I could not deny it, and I became a Christian at 17. At that point, I began to experience church on a whole new level, worshiping in Holy Spirit regenerated worship where I was able to sense who really was part of the church and who really loved Jesus and who really was investing in me. And I began to sense that I needed to invest in other people. 
And so I began to do that and I began to be trained in the church and I entered into internships in my church and then at college, a church that I became a member of at college and then at seminary when I moved to California, I became a member of that church in seminary and then over to Arkansas for 11 years, I was a member and a pastor at that church and now I'm up here at Anchorage Grace Church. Church defines my 40-year experience here on earth. You could sort of understand and reflect upon passages where Jesus said in Matthew 18, what is bound up in heaven is bound in here on earth. And he was speaking of what believers do in the church. Do you think of the Lord's prayer? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The earthly expression of God's universal church is found in local expression, physical expression that is called the church. Only Christianity knows church because the church is God's unique design for you and for me, for us to know each other as his body, the church. Uh, these days, the church is sort of uh, dismissed at times by teaching that flows from the church that the church should be more of a consumer uh, model, something that you sort of show up to and you, you might share some money with it to build some programs and enjoy, but you might have more of a take it or leave it mindset, maybe a cafeteria mindset where you say, you know, I'll take a little bit from this church, a little bit from that church, or I'll come for a while and then I'll leave and go to this church or that. And you have this consumer shopping mindset where one church is competing with another church to create the greatest product to draw the most people to come. And that's not church at all, especially as defined in the New Testament. The scripture knows nothing of consumer competition in the church. It, it's not about having services that either compel people to come or not come. The church is about a body that is uniquely committed to each other. The church is defined in the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, where Paul is saying, look, Timothy, Titus, set up churches in local regions where you have elders, where you have people set apart as preaching elders, and you have deacons, and you share the Lord's Supper, 1st Corinthians chapter 11, and you have baptisms. The beginning of 1st Corinthians talks about baptism and also does the Great Commission, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. You have people giving relief offerings and offerings to support and sustain the ministry of local churches. And local churches are meant to propagate the gospel in every tribe, tongue, people, and nation around the world. That's missions is creating churches around the world. Local Churches, churches that are known as the church at Philippi, the church at Corinth, the church in Rome. Those were the early church expressions where a group of people would gather and they would unify around the way that the church is supposed to be designed according to First and Second Timothy and Titus. And they would gather in these particular regions and be a public witness and expression as the church. So, with all that as a background... What do we do with this question about membership? Again, is membership really what we're talking about or are we talking about something deeper? Well, let's look at the question. A couple of you asked this question and then also it was asked in the church business meeting. Does the Bible support church membership and for what 
purpose? Well, the answer, my friends, is in terms of, you know, the packets that I have back on the table that you can read through and check boxes in and, and go through a, a process. That's a pretty superficial process that we've, we've designed that is actually extra biblical. In other words, superficially, the Bible does not anywhere command you to check a box and join a church. It doesn't. It doesn't. There, there's no explicit, direct scripture that supports explicitly what's set up there on the back table. It doesn't. But when you take it one level deeper to the issue of, as a Christian, are you called to be accountable to a local church and accountable under a specific local group of elders, absolutely, it commands you to do that. So in that sense, the answer is yes. You are commanded from God's word, from the lips of Jesus Christ, to be committed to a local body of believers serving underneath a collected group of spiritual leaders, a leadership team that is watching over your souls for your good. That's, that's what we're talking about. We're really talking about accountability. When you talk about membership, whether or not I'm become a member or not, we really need to take it one level deeper and say, are you willing to be accountable to each other and to a leadership team or not? That's what we're talking about. Are you willing, let me put it this way, are you willing to be responsible for other people at your church or not? That's the call. Are you willing for church to not be something you show up to and leave as a chapel service, take it or leave it, or are you part of a body? that you're committed to, that you're responsible for, that you're accountable under. That's what we're talking about when we talk about church membership. I know the people that have asked, hey, let's just bring up church membership. You didn't ask for all that, but hey, we opened the door and here we are. Membership is very significant and it's very serious. It's very important. So the Bible commands all Christians to enter into Two forms of accountability. That's what we're talking about. Two forms of accountability can be biblically defended all over the place. The first is being accountable as a member to other members of a local church body. This takes spiritual commitment to a particular people. Now, where do I dig this up? Let's begin at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a famous passage that talks about being a member of the body of Christ. A member of the body of Christ. That's where the word member comes from and the idea of membership but when you look at the word member first corinthians 12 12 you're talking about a picture of a body part look for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of one of the body though many are one body so it is with christ now what we're talking about here is body parts and body parts that are part of the body of Christ. Now, when we're talking about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, we're talking about it in two realms. Two dynamics are always at play, the universal church and then the local expression of the universal church. What's the universal church? You gotta get this definition class if you're gonna be able to follow the import and the level of seriousness that we're talking about. The universal church is all of God's people throughout all the ages that have ever believed. 
Uh, the ones for whom Christ died. died. Christ died for his church. Christ loves his bride. Those are all believers of all the ages of all the time, all times. Uh, every person that is a believer in the world right now is part of the invisible universal church. That's it. And all the believers that have gone before are part of the universal church. Now, each universal church, I mean, the universal church takes a physical form and expression as a local church per the way the Bible has set this up. And you can build this idea from all the church passages that you find in the Bible. For instance, 1 Corinthians 12, if you look at verse 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about verse 4, a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Every one of you as an individual has a spiritual gift. Guess what? You do. As a believer, God gave you one. You have a personality, but you also have a spiritual gift that you are supposed to use within a body life context. And the metaphor of Ephesians 1:22, for instance, that talks about how Christ is the head of the church, which he's talking about the universal invisible church, that metaphor is picked up in 1 Corinthians 12 with the idea that it's not just a head of an invisible body, but it's the head of physical people who have physical, spiritual manifestations of their gifts. In other words, you're not just talking about a head, but you're also talking about a, a face, a nose, ears, mouth, eyes that are physically involved in each other's lives. That dynamic is always going on. It's talk, in other words, a local church is a microcosmic picture and physical expression of the universal church. You see that? Every time the church is gathered together, we are a physical expression of the universal church. Turn over to R Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Paul is always talking about this. Verse 2, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's talking to the church that's physically present at Rome. Verse 4, he says, for as in one body, we have many members, many body parts, and the Members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. All right, that, you know, he's talking in terms of the universal church, the universal body. There's one body of believers and one gospel, but there is always a physical expression with particular gifts. And he goes there in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And then he lists them, prophecy, serving, verse 7, teaching, verse 7, exhorting, verse 8, contributing with generosity. Contributing to what? Everybody's church, you know, generally? No, he's talking specifically about using your teaching, serving, or giving gift in a local body. That's what it's talking about. There's sort of the universal dimension, but that universal dimension is expressed physically here on earth in local churches. So when Christ said, you know, I will build my church in Matthew 16 and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's talking about building his universal church through the missionary work of local churches being born 
throughout the ages in local expression. For instance, uh, the founding pastor of this church, of this local expression, was trained um, at Grace Theological Seminary. He sensed the call to come up here and church plant, and he planted a local church called Anchorage Grace Church 35-some years ago right here. And this is that local church expression that Christ has promised to build. We're part of a greater kingdom, but we are expressed in locality. Why? What's the, what's the purpose of the local church? You know what the purpose is? The, the reason that you come together is to be accountable to each other and to fulfill what is called the one another ministry in the New Testament. There are dozens of one another's that I could sort of list for you. I'll list a few. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens. Don't backbite one another. You know, serving one another. Encouraging one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, 5.11. Turn over to Romans chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. You see that local commitment, that local expression and commitment to each other? Turn to Romans 16, verse 1. This is a, a letter of commendation for Phoebe at this point in verse 1 of chapter 16. Uh, Paul's saying, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant or a deaconess of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints to help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. This could be sort of a, a, an organized letter of commendation to Phoebe saying, look, she is a godly person. We're endorsing her to join your membership. Look at the list beneath this, verses 3 and following. These are specific names that Paul knew specifically that were part of the flock that he was loving and said, greet with a holy kiss because there's this kiss of love affection within the body of Christ. I mean, this is counterintuitive to a lot of what church is like today in our world and specifically in our country, which is more program driven rather than people driven. There's sort of a commitment phobe trend that's out there. You say, I don't need to commit to the body of Christ. And it's almost like um, the idea of, uh, you know, dating the church. There's a book that I would commend to you. It's Stop Dating the Church by Joshua Harris. It's a great book. We got it out in our bookstore. But it's basically creating a sort of an analogy there saying people will date the church. You know, they'll show up and show up to the doorstep and sort of, you know, take the person out once a week. You give some money to that person to make them happy and like you. And you sort of enjoy the benefits together. Hey, are we at the hold hand stage or not? Do I like you? Do I not like you? Are we going to have the DTR, you know, define the relationship talk or not? No, not yet. But let's just enjoy ourselves together. And, and yet, you know, we're going to sort of just keep it dating and keep it platonic enough so that I can enjoy my life and sort of spin my wheels and do my thing and then take up, you know, dating again and then leave it. That's sort of the mindset today in church. It is. And I don't mean to be overcritical, but that, there's a far cry from dating to marriage. Where you say, I do, 
warts and all, right? You're, you're just, you're in it for life no matter what happens. And it's a sealed commitment. Now, by that, I'm not saying it's a sin to leave a church. It's not a sin to, to, to go to a different ministry. I'm not hard on people for doing that. But I do think that it is wrong to avoid accountability. I think it's wrong to just show up and fall asleep. Not if, I mean, if you fall asleep, I'm not going to call you out. But I, I, I'm saying in terms of just your general attitude, you should show up and want to be a part of God's mission in a local place with a local body. All the different metaphors speak of this being Christ's temple. We're all joined together as, as bricks in bricks and mortar together. We're God's flock. We're sheep that are, that are known by shepherds. We're God's house. We're God's family. Just like you know family members. I mean, this is the goal of local church. It is. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is probably the strongest passage I could bring out that shows the motivation for this, for being committed to one another. Look at Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Flip back to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. People are hard-hearted in the church. You have the weed and the tares. You have people who don't really know if they're a Christian or not and struggling in that way. And that's all part of church. But how does that how does that get protected? How do people get helped? How do people get strengthened? Well, it's through relationships. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's church. You know, let's look at another um, part of the outline here. It takes spiritual commitment to a particular people. This makes a physical expression in a particular place. And I just want to pick up on some of the ideas of how church is organized. In Acts chapter 2, when the church began, remember the 120 were in the upper room, and then the Spirit of God fell, and Peter preached, and then 3,000 were saved. Remember that in Acts chapter 2? And then and then it says in Acts 2 at the end of that section that the Lord was adding to his church what? Daily. Daily. He, was, he just continued to add to the church. Verse 46. And day by day, Acts 2, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There was an accounting that was going on. In 1 Timothy 5, there's actually a widow's list that, that puts certain particular women who've been godly by reputation on a list to be known within the church. Membership is the, the sort of I'm signing up and I'm joining statement that I want to be known here as someone who is feeling responsible for other people and for the flock in general at a local church. That's what we're talking about. That kind of accountability. Turn your Bibles over to Acts chapter 5. I believe it's Acts chapter 5. 
verse 12. Yeah, it's an interesting story. You remember the story in Acts 5 of when they were sharing property together and sort of laying things out for people in need and Ananias and Sapphira both independently of each other before the apostles lied to the apostles and they lied to the Holy Spirit and they said, you know, yeah, we're giving it all, but really they weren't. They were holding things back. It wasn't the sin that they didn't give it all. It was the sin that they were lying about what they weren't giving. And so God struck them both dead. Well, look at verse 11 of Acts 5. It's an interesting church growth strategy that God used. Hey, we're going to strike people dead here who lie. Verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now the rest, look at this. None of the rest dared join them. In other words, hey, we're not going to, the people in the community are going, look, people die in there. I'm not going to join that madness, you know. I don't care how cool the signs and wonders are. I don't care how great those people look. I don't want to join them. The word join there is, is literally the word for glue in, in the original language. I don't want to be glued to that. I don't want that to happen to me. It says, but the people held them in high esteem. Uh, even though they didn't want to join, they respected what was going on there. Hey, they mean business with what's happening there. That was the tone. And then verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So the seriousness of what it meant to be committed to that local church body drew people. That's my heart. I want the bar to be raised here theologically, spiritually, and otherwise, so that people say, man, Anchorage Grace Church, they're not a perfect church. They don't think they're perfect, but they sure do mean business. They mean business. We're serious about each other. We're serious about each other's lives. We, we take up for each other and we care, and we're part of a greater church community, I'll grant you that, but we mean business in terms of God's glory. That's what, that's what I want our reputation and testimony to be here as one of the churches, one of the local expressions in Anchorage. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, they met on the first day of the week. They met on the Lord's Day. The first day was the, this day, Sunday, uh, that was sort of changed in the calendar year. Uh, you know, different people were commended locally to churches. Apollos was commended physically by Paul to the church. Um, also, Aristarchus in Colossians 4.10 um, was commended in the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is an interesting one. I want to sort of turn your attention there real quick. Paul is defending his apostleship in terms of membership. And he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Now, they, they were giving physical letters of recommendation for people. This is sort of that membership idea where it's a physical commendation of someone's genuine faith. But Paul is saying, let's look a level deeper. You don't need my paperwork to trust me. It says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts and to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The issue isn't the paperwork. The issue is willing, a willingness to be authentically real and accountable as a Christian. We're willing to put your your faith on the line. 
a physical expression of being accountable in, in the local churches when you were baptized. Uh, we, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says, hey, build a wooden box so that you can baptize people by immersion on a stage. That, that isn't explicitly stated, but the heart behind it is that someone is saying publicly, I am willing to identify myself as a believer, and this public act of being dipped or dunked in the water is showing how the Holy Spirit has baptized my heart. And I am baptized into his body spiritually. That's a public expression. And church membership, in essence, is a public way for us to get organized, to know who's here, to know who's inside the church, who, who, who is joined up. You know, people will join all kinds of things, right? You join um, cable TV, you join, you know, the Jeep Club, you join this, you'll, you'll sort of sign, sign up, you know, without even thinking. But some people go, man, I'll join those things, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to join a local church if they ask me to do that. And sometimes I wonder, look, why? Why is someone resisting joining, publicly identifying? I think sometimes people are afraid that they're going to be put out, so they don't want to be identified as fully in. That's not always the case, but it's important to consider why. Why do I not want to join? 1 John 2.19 talks about false teachers, people who are corrupting the church, and it says they went out from among us because they were not of us. So John had an awareness that they were in, but then they left. And that same idea is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I know we've been bouncing around a lot, but hey, just bounce with me this time. We'll be in Philippians soon. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together, it's talking about, hey, Paul knew when basically the church was coming together in a local way and all speak in tongues, which is an apostolic gift, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will not say that you are out of, will they not say that you are out of your minds? That was a, you know, speaking known language, known languages in the apostolic age during that time in the church as a sign of how God's gospel was going out to every nation. But then verse 24, but if all prophesy, literally speaking the language that everybody can understand, it says, and an unbeliever or outsider enters. So you have, an, you have the identification clearly that there are people inside, and then you have someone who comes from the outside. He is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all. So you have this outsider who comes amongst the insiders, and he's convicted, and then he's held to a, an accountability within those insiders. Again, I'm just trying to tell you how the New Testament talks about church. It doesn't talk about church in a shopper, shopping, sort of, you know, dating relationship mindset, consumer mindset at all. It talks about it in terms of being committed to each other. You know, I would much rather us grow in our commitment to each other than for us to grow numerically. I think the Lord will add to his church as we are faithful to his word but I also believe that we are to grow in our commitment to each other. And this is really what people long for. All right, the second, the second point I want to bring up is, first of all, we're accountable as a member to other members of a local body. And secondly, we're accountable to leaders of a local church body. Leaders. Elders. An elder is a pastor. A pastor is an elder. I mean, really, uh, the Bible says that each church is to have a plurality of leaders. It does. Over and over and over again, it does. 
If you read the New Testament, that's how the design is, is, is created and that's how the story is told. Some of you might come from churches where there was only one pastor, and that's understandable, but the goal is to have a plurality of leaders in a place. And I would say this, if local churches have sort of marked the story of my life, local church leaders have specifically marked my life in my story. You ever been discipled? You ever been held accountable by a leader in a church who was shepherding your soul, who could read your mail, who knew that you were not doing right or well or suspected it and asked you a specific question over a cup of coffee? That kind of accountability is something that you can't buy or shop for. That kind of accountability is a spiritual accountability and the way and means that God uses to grow us in grace. The church is all about coming accountable, becoming accountable underneath a leadership team. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, is where Paul in Lystra, he had just been stoned for the gospel and the Lord revived him and raised him up. And it says he was going immediately to, from town to town, establishing church elders in every city. That's the plan and blueprint of the church. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 5. One of his sons in the faith, he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might Put what remained into order and appoint elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. Why are there elders in churches? Well, so that you'll be held accountable. That's it. I mean, you need to be protected from false teaching. You need to be prayed for. But basically, it's accountability. If you look over at Hebrews chapter 13... Verse 17, very important text. And this text, you know, taken out of context, can sound very harsh or almost weird or counterintuitive. Listen to it, the way it reads. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Well, that's pretty strong, isn't it? It says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What are you supposed to do? Well, as a believer, you are supposed to put yourself under the accountability of people who are accountable to God to watch over you. The word episkopos is one of the key words for an elder or an overseer. That's the actual word. Whenever you see overseer, that's episkopos, where we get that denomination term episcopalian or Episcopal, and it just means overseer. It's a person who's a pastor who's looking over your spiritual life. And so you come to church and you submit into a local church. You submit yourself under and commit yourself to a local church because you want someone to shepherd your soul. And when someone takes the mantle of being an elder, they are putting themselves under a severe accountability for the Lord to be accountable for you. That's why you have hard conversations. That's why you draw people in. And that's why you're willing to protect people from harm. The Bible says in, in Jude and 2 Peter, Jude 4, 2 Peter 2, 1, and Acts 20, that there are wolves that come in in sheep's clothing. People creep in unawares and they try to promote false teaching to corrupt your thinking and stray you away from the gospel. It's true. It, this is the warfare dynamic that happens within the church where you have wheat and you have tares. 
I remember in my last local church that I was a part of, as an elder, interviewing with another elder, a couple, to come into our local church. And they were respecting the community. They looked fine. Good people. Sitting there talking to them. Had kids in the youth group. Had relationships. And we're just talking along and we're, we're saying, hey, share your testimony. And they came out of what's called the Church of God or the Church of Christ each coming from two different backgrounds, that both, um, both of their parents had raised them to believe that you had to be baptized to, to be saved. It's called baptismal regeneration. It's the idea that, hey, you make a profession of faith, but um, God does not seal the deal until you're dunked. That's, that is a common teaching in that denomination. I'm saying, listen, we believe here that the Bible teaches that you are saved by grace through faith, alone without any extra work period and you can't view baptism in that way as a work and and he just began to argue with me and say look there's no functional difference because when people make a profession they're called to get baptized and when i watch them get baptized that's when the holy spirit is coming into that person's heart and the more he talked the more he clarified that he definitely was adding baptism as a work for salvation so I had to call a timeout and just say, hey, let's stall this and read um, doctrine for a while and see how this thing turns out. There's all kinds of heartache and upheaval. I had elders calling me, hey, we're friends with these people. Don't do this or soften it or what are you doing? And we talked some more and we talked some more. And eventually the wife was very confirming to say she now totally is sure that she believes in grace through faith alone. The gospel of free grace alone to be saved. And Ultimately, the husband kind of went along with the wife and, and agreed to that as well. But in recent years, and recent months, I've heard to my sadness that this man had, in, had been involved in all kinds of immoral relationships. And, you know, when you have false teaching, you typically don't have to look too far for the immorality that the false teaching is being used to cover up. And I don't know how all that ties together exactly, but if you read 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, Jude, it's always talking about false teaching and false teachers that are filled with greed and lust and envy and trying to take your money and all that stuff. Well, this guy, you know, he was brought into severe accountability because he began to confess this sin of immorality Two elders there, and then ultimately he couldn't take it and he took his own life. This, when you start to talk about church membership in terms of church accountability, now you're talking about something that is very serious and very important for a healthy church. Because the church should be a place of holiness, a place of safety, a place of protection for each other. All right, well, it takes a physical expression in a particular place. It makes for a physical expression in a particular place. It does. Um, let me show you one church discipline issue that I think is the most significant one that sort of ties things together for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You had a, a man in the church who was involved in an incestual relationship with his stepmom. And Paul is calling him out, and he's calling him out to the local body. He's not even just talking to specific church leaders. He's saying to the church, as a local church, you are responsible for this person. This isn't something that you just cover up and say, oh, it's all grace and it's all good. No, you have to go after this person to help this person spiritually because we don't know if this person's a believer and his eternal soul is at stake, so we're going to go after him. 
He says, this is immorality that's not even named among the pagans. Chapter 5, verse 1. And so Paul's saying, I'm coming to town here, but you need to hold him accountable. Verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. He says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, of the flesh. Whoa, what are you talking about there? Well, Satan is called the God of this world. And basically what Paul is saying to do is you need to say, call this person out as a person who's living like the world. And you need to say, look, you need to be out in the world right now. And you're not to um, participate in and enjoy the benefits of local church body life as if you are an affirmed believer who's doing a sin like this. If you're involved in unrepentant immorality on this level that's causing division within the church, then you need to not be affirmed as part of the church at this time. But why do you deliver someone out to the world like this? So that, verse 5, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's to hold this person accountable so that this person will see that he has traded up. He's traded his church body life and his family for immorality. As so you say, look, I'm giving you all the way over to your immorality, kind of like the prodigal son. Hey, go, go, go take the inheritance and have all your sin run its course to where it runs out and then you run home. You see, that's what he's saying here. He's, he's wanting this person to run back. Verse 9, then he talks to the church again. He says, I wrote... To you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people don't do it not not as if they're christians and he says verse 10 not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you would need since then you would need to go out of the world that's a little bit of a confusing verse but he's just saying look this person says he's a believer and he's living like the world. So he needs to be separated from the church and held to account in that way. But at the same time, you still need to involve yourselves with people who are in the world for evangelism. People who are involved in immorality to reach them. But verse 11, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. This person is an outsider. This person is not to be affirmed. And Matthew 18 talks about this as well. It's where you, you go to a person, you confront them about their sin, then you take two witnesses and you confront them about their sin. They're still not repenting. They're still not softening up. They're putting their dukes up and pushing you away. Then you, after a time and process of praying and trying to reach people, perhaps the, the eldership becomes involved, then it's talked about amongst the whole church and the whole church is to pursue this person in love who's in sin and then the last step is to say i'm now going to treat this person as an unbeliever that doesn't mean you never talk to the person it's just you don't buy into that person's hypocrisy and affirm it thus hardening their hearts but you say you know what i don't know where you are right now because you're unwilling to repent of your sin that is that has been identified publicly with witnesses that's church discipline you say, why do you have membership? Why do you have, well, it's people saying I'm in so that potentially it's to bring a person to accountability where their in status could be jeopardized and they might need to be put out. A lot of times people 
don't want to be known as part of the insider church crowd because they don't want to be held accountable and potentially be asked to leave. So you sort of play the middle. It's a very important message. I mean, we've talked about a lot of things in our Q&A and a lot of serious cultural issues, but this is, I think, the number one issue for our church. I do. I think we need to take a step of commitment to each other and take each other's lives very very seriously we've got a lot of new faces that have come into our church we've got people who have been here for 30 years and we've got everything in between it's time for us to come together as a unified body not a perfect body but a unified body that is in it for each other for the for the for the sake of the glory of god to promote holiness to promote a physical and corporate witness here that we mean business as a local church D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a 20th century pastor in London, and he said the idea of membership as membership to a body, to the body of Christ, is the biggest honor that can come to a man in the world. I mean, if you're going to be committed to anything, you need to be committed to the local church. I'm going to read to you again. Now, this is something you can read along with, and, you know, I actually was going to read something out of this, so I didn't do that. So just, you know, buckle up for this one. But this is good stuff. This is from Charles Haddon Spurgeon on membership. It's a couple paragraphs, and you just read in your heart and mind as I read this to you. It says, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would, have never, I, would ha I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been perf a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, listen to this, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. As I have already said, the church is faulty, but that is no excuse for your not joining it. If you are the Lord's, nor need your own faults keep you back, for the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who, though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the, is the nursery for God's weak children, where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. Let's pray. Father, we've reflected on so much. We know that you love your church like a bride. You told Saul, who became Paul, you said, why are you persecuting me? And what you meant was, why are you persecuting your church, which is your body? I pray, God, that we would take a step today, um, increasing our commitment to the church. And Lord, if you're calling certain ones to commit themselves to this local expression of your universal church, I pray that people would do that so that people could grow in grace and in knowledge of you. We want to know you, God, and we want to make you known. So God, we humbly ask that you would seal the word of God to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.